Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. My guest today is Dr. Teresa Larson. Now, as far as we know, Teresa is of no relation to my former guest, Olympic swimmer Bria Larson, but they're both incredibly strong women, physically and mentally. Teresa is a former Marine Corps engineer officer, a combat veteran, a former professional softball player, an author, and a former Body for Life fitness champion. She is now a physical therapist who, together with her husband, founded Movement RX. She's an inspiring educator of companies and military units helping individuals and teams understand that change is possible and one must be able to care for oneself if they are to effectively care for someone else. We're going to learn a lot more about Teresa, her time before the Marines, during her time as a Marine, and what brought her to where she is today. That'll all be on this episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. Halfway across the world from you. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. And, and after speaking with you and, and reading your book, I'm looking forward to getting to know you even better here today. Thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful you did read it because uh, it was something that was, you know, challenging, but also therapeutic to write. And having people still read it and tell me their experience with it is still very kind of daunting to me. But that's the beauty of life, like sure. getting a little uncomfortable. So, uh, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? Being, yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to do um, before I really get into the questions on every show, I'm, I'm starting off by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and then why we're doing this show. So, Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point in the podcast is to make people aware of what we do, both to increase support and then also attendance at our retreats, and then also reducing stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. So that all said, uh, we'll get into our questions. And uh, I want to start just kind of uh, allowing the audience to know who you are kind of as as a person, not so much as a bio, because I I started with the show uh, with a brief bio, but I want to get into a little bit more about who you are. So can you tell us uh, something that may not be in your bio, so maybe where you're living, what you do for fun, family makeup, et cetera. Sure. Um, yeah, this is all the, the good stuff. <laughs> um, I live, I, so I'm married. Um, I'm the wife of a man named Per Larsen, which is a Swedish name. Uh, I met him, gosh, nine years ago now. He probably um, punched me in the arm. I don't actually... <laughs> something around that time. He's very good at keeping track. But, 
<laughs> Maybe I'll edit uh, that part out. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. No, uh, we met. We met like nine years ago in Long Beach, and um, like I'm, he, was, he was living next door to me in this apartment complex. Um, he was staying with a friend briefly, and yeah, just one thing led to another. We traveled the world together, like after meeting after three months, and got married a few years later after I finished my doctorate in physical therapy. Um, it was one of the easiest relationships I ever had, so thankfully we're married. And it's <laughs> definitely not been easy, but it's been pretty awesome. It gets nice. better, I feel like, each year. So, yeah, we live in San Diego, and um, as a lot of veterans like to call it, sand dog. Yeah, that's what I and call it. Not, it's really very hard to live here, I'm telling you. Like, it's sunny all the time. <laughs> like, you can go to the beach. I mean, if you want to go to Mexico, the mountains. Um, no, it's great. And we have a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Magnus, Magnus and he is a magnet he's a <laughs> in like the z curve of his head and weight and height um and he's like such a little gem in our life uh keeps us going so <laughs> we're we're very much enjoying being parents and uh, my husband and I run a company together called Movement Rx um that I started like right when we got married Right after we got married, and it soon started to grow, and I needed some business help with it. So he came on, and it morphed, which we'll get into more in the, the podcast. But, you know, for fun, we like to salsa dance and tango really? and matcha. Like, we're probably the two biggest white people you've seen at salsa clubs. <laughs> um, like, really. Like, we, my husband played football in college, and I, I, I you know, I like 6'1". So yeah, I was just going to ask. We definitely stand out. And I like to wear chucks too when I dance. I'm not like a high heel kind of lady. I don't mind wearing them, but I mean, I just, I'm tall and I'm, I just I like moving around in chucks and bands um, <laughs> and skateboarding too. So like when I go to the dance club, like you have a lot of people staring at us like, what are you doing here? Um, you know, I so I it. think they're saying, but I it doesn't it. really matter. Yeah. So we, we, we like to dance. Um, we like to cook, we like to read, uh, we do, we, we cross it together. Um, and then we definitely like our alone time, each of us. So yeah. we make sure we, we make time for that. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I call That's that what... lone wolf time. So we like our lone wolf time. Yes. Uh, we obviously, we love one another, but we also feel that we need some time to just be ourselves alone away from everybody. Um, so I think that's important for everyone. Um, going back yes. to your, your Chuck Taylors, we, we actually wear that, those quite often um, in, in the teams. I'm sure you've seen the guys. I mean, obviously we wear them around in San Diego along with flip-flops, but we also wear Chuck Taylors on, on operations um, if we're working across oh. the beach. Yeah, because they're easier than taking, uh, putting booties on and taking booties off. They're easier to wear under your fins, funny enough. And then they've got a sole on them, so you can actually use them when you're walking around on the beach or, or whatever. Chuck Taylors are awesome. So they're very versatile for combat operations and then even on the salsa dance floor. So there you go. Uh, yes, this is great. Okay, good information. <laughs> so, Didn't know that, actually. Yeah, and I think um, we discussed Magnus when we first spoke because I think his birthday is very close to my daughter's. Uh, my daughter's two and a half years old as well, and she also is is uh, the light of our lives. We've got a, a nine-month-old son, or almost ten months old now, um, but 
our uh, two and a half year old girl, oh, Mia. Yeah. She is uh, so inquisitive and uh, I mean, just into everything right now. So it's, uh, it is an experience that I'm uh, loving as a 42 year old guy, but also like, whoa, I am tired. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. It's oh, a yeah. Overwhelming. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to see the world through their eyes. Um, and I think it's really therapeutic too, when you, when you take the time to see the world through a child's eyes and sure. nothing better than your own child. Cause like the holidays, every light represents Christmas, right. you know, it's just like, this is so exciting. And, the anticipation and um he he is like he's saying like full sentences now like shall we go see the christmas tree I'm like sure <laughs> shall. shall wow you know, or, yeah we shall yeah like he'll say things like that and then he'll just like randomly come up to you and say i love you or you know he'll that's the um, best say mommy are you okay oh, i love <laughs> just, it yeah or like mommy you want to talk yeah, our uh, our daughter has uh, started saying, um, "Stay just for a couple of minutes. You don't have to go to work. Stay just for a couple of minutes." <laughs> so, so every morning yeah. it's a battle to leave the house because she thinks a couple yes. of minutes is all day, but we're we're trying to teach her that a couple minutes is literally two minutes. Um, yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty it. awesome. Yeah. So that's uh, actually one of my questions. I think you've kind of answered a little bit there is what's your favorite part about being a mom? Well, it's, gosh, there's, I mean, it's just a, you know, people can tell you it's the most incredible thing, but once you, until you have a kid, you really don't know what it's like. And um, I, yeah, I grew up with a father and two brothers. Like my mother passed away when I was young. And so like, the nurturing motherly feeling in me, just like having a kid was like, okay, let's do it. Sure. It wasn't like a, Oh my gosh, I have to have a kid. Uh Um, and, but once I had him, it was just like, wow, I've, I've never felt so much love for something ever. Sure. Um, and it was just a really cool, well, it's been a very cool experience having lost both parents because it's like, now I can like, I, I get what they felt like around us. <clears throat> and that so being a mom now um having like gone through this incredible journey so far and like still living one it's just like i have i i feel i feel like i have so much to teach the little one and he's he's teaching me so much about just equanimity like just being able to be calm in chaos um because <laughs> he very much feeds off of me and and my husband so it's like okay what do i want to how do i want to be in the world well, he's the first person who's going to see that being. And so he's very much taught me how to love and accept and be kind and like calm under pressure more so than any, more so than my Marine Corps experience <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. So, yeah. or playing college softball or professional softball, like having a kid's like very much, if you need to change your way of being, having a kid, like for me, it's forced me to just really like, take a shift of like looking at myself and saying, okay, how can I change my behavior? So in a good way, so this little person can see kindness, love and strength um, now and throughout the rest of his life because he's going to get it from us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are mirrors for us and and, uh, we can often see ourselves in them. And then uh, they are also not scared to tell you something. If uh, you know, if I'm on my phone 
and I'm not paying attention to what I should be paying attention to, which is my children in the house, uh, sometimes my little yes. girl will come up to me and say, Daddy, get off your phone. And I'm like, oh, man, two-and-a-half-year-old telling me to get off the phone. Okay, it's time yes. to put the phone down. <laughs> so. Yes, no, that's, he, he will – he definitely does because um, I can get complacent with that sometimes too and he'll – remind he'll just remind me by getting angry <laughs> okay i get it yep. pay attention to me this is like precious time hello yeah you definitely. know and and that's also you know so the there that's like the, the hidden benefit but like the real exciting stuff is just seeing this little person who kind of looks like you like <laughs> say things and come out with like the most interesting things and play and make things and ask you different things and like just the way they grow is like it's just like a miracle right Sponges. Um, so i don't know just like observing yeah it's just fun to for me it's the best part is just this little human we created and it's been really cool to watch him grow any so. any other plans for other other magnuses or uh, i don't know what the yes. female yeah you got plans for other <laughs> ones yeah so we we do and we have actually we're in our first trimester. Well, oh, we're ending our congratulations. First trimester. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Cool. So my my husband's family doesn't know yet. So anyone Uh-oh. listening, please don't tell them <laughs> yet. Well, <laughs> but we're telling them over Christmas. Okay. I, I won't air this until after Christmas. So it'll, you'll, you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But we're, we're, we're very excited. That's so. fantastic. Congrats. So yeah, um, Thank you. I'm going to move on to uh, your your memoir. Uh, your memoir is entitled Warrior, and in it, uh, I found out that I mean we've discussed your background a little bit, but I found out a lot more by reading that, and I see that you're an incredible, incredibly resilient person. Um, and you mentioned the passing of your mother, and I wanted to discuss that adversity, the adversity that you faced at a a very young age in the losing in the loss of your mother. Um, how did that affect you back then? Um, well, when I was, I mean, I was 10 at the time. So she was suffering with breast cancer for like six years of my young adult, young life. So I really only remember her as, you know, with her struggling with breast cancer. Um, so it was one of those things where it wasn't, a tra- it wasn't tragic. It, like we knew it was coming. But, uh, you know, as a 10-year-old, like, how can you really prepare for it? My dad, you know, obviously did the best he could, and we worked with hospice quite a bit. But, um, yeah, it was, I think, as a 10-year-old, um, and I was the, the only girl in my family, it was my dad, thankfully, was very open to talking with me about grieving and being there for me, and we had hospice care. Uh, but I don't think the the loss really sank in until like high school years when, you know, I started having friends and being around other families and seeing other parents, you know, at ball games and stuff. Sure. And, uh-huh. you know, experiencing the changes of an adolescent, you know, young woman adolescent. Oh growing, yeah, of course. Growing up. And um and all the things that go into being a girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh and so you know, it's, but I may do, like, that's the thing, you just, my mom, you know, told me, like, life isn't fair, but, you know, life has to go on. Your mom so told you that? You just, yeah. 
at, at so she's, at a very young age. You when I was that. yeah, at a young age, she was she basically um, she sat me down because I was very sad about mm-hmm. what was going on, and she's like, Teresa, life isn't there, but she's like, but life has to go on, right? Like, so I'm not going to be here physically, but your life has to go on, and and your life will go on. And, but there have been times I didn't want my life to go on, unfortunately. And I was like, no, it has to. Like she, her voice is always there. Yeah. You know, so she's, she's, even though she's not here physically, spiritually she is. And she's very much been um, in my life in ways I, when I, I don't even know it. Um, but as a young woman, like I just, I was able to reach out to friends of hers and, I had different people in my life who were there for me during those formative years. And so I'm very thankful for that. Um, it didn't make me miss her any less, Sure. but you just, you just, you figure it out. And I'm very thankful for having his father who was really open and not shut down. Like he did obviously lose a piece of himself with all this. And that was part of his grieving is that he threw himself into his kids versus himself and his grieving but as a child, like, I didn't actually understand that yet. He really helped me just forge forward in the best way he could. And then later on, he finally took ownership of his health and got it back and, like, did what he had to do to get healthy. But it takes time. And he had three, two teenage boys and a 10-year-old. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, that, you know, the sure single father running his own business. Yeah. But you just, I mean, there, you... Like her voice is always there. Like life has to go on, and you do figure it out, and you you gravitate towards people who build you up. And there were people that didn't build me up. I mean, sports was my thing, so I threw myself into sports for sure, and kind of like over time built my self esteem off of accomplishment. Um, you know, and that who knows what could have happened having had a mother around, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can always think back of like what if what could have happened but sure i think most people even with two parents you know in a competitive household have experienced that like they do well in school they do well in sports they feel better about themselves and they kind of build self-esteem off of that and then one day they realize like oh that that's fleeting those things are going to end like you're not always going to be in school you're not always going to be an athlete achieving you're not always going to be running a business achieving so who are you outside of that Right, and actually, that's that's a perfect segue into into my next question. Uh, I was going to ask what made you feel like you had to be a perfectionist at everything because I know you talk talk about that in the book uh, quite a bit uh, towards the end about being a perfectionist um, and really kind of being okay after a while, being okay not being perfect at things. And and you do grow up, you know, if you're an athlete or a, a high performer, you kind of get. Um, those dopamine hits from when somebody tells you great job, hey, you did well on that test, you did well on that game, you did well on that race, whatever, um, and, and you do become almost a perfectionist. Um, how did you? Yes. How did you deal with that um, in the in the Marine Corps? Well, I mean, it served me well in the Marine Corps in some ways. Sure. I mean, I was probably, honestly, more afraid to fail my Marines than like going to combat or anything like that. Yeah. It was just, I didn't want to fail them and, you know, look bad <laughs> essentially. And I wanted to be, make, make sure I was the perfect Lieutenant for them. Like it served me well in a lot of ways because 
you know, I, I was physically fit and I did my job to the nth degree, like whatever I had to do. Um, I had to talk to whoever I had to talk to to get better at a skill that I wasn't good at. Um, you know, even with my Marines, like I knew that going in as a lieutenant thinking I knew everything was like not the right thing to do. And because I definitely didn't. So like relying on them and learning from them and like, you know, seeing some of the senior enlisted as more mentors for me as a young lieutenant was, was smart. Um, but the, but the, the ugly side of perfectionism was that they didn't, they only saw the side that was, Oh, this, this woman is like, you know, busting her ass for us. So we're going to work hard for her. But the ugly side of it was that there were long hours. You know, I was, you know, um, I started developing disordered eating patterns again, like I did in college and um, beat myself up if something didn't go right or conversation didn't go right. But it usually happened later on, right, when no one else could see me or inside I would just hold it in, didn't have like really an outlet. Um, Because of the long hours, I would train with my platoon, but like also go home and go to sleep and get up and do the same thing the next day, right? And so like I didn't have any kind of extra cope, like good coping mechanisms for what I was dealing with and all the different kinds of people and situations. Like it's much different going from college playing a college sport, traveling with your team or being a team captain to now like running the platoon, getting prepared for war. Um, I just, and of course there was a bunch of training in between that, but I didn't feel well equipped. Like even with just the training I did in softball as a collegiate athlete to, to cope with the things we were facing and the conversations and the challenges. And I also really, I was able to stick up for myself in a lot of situations, but I didn't know how to let those things go. So it didn't affect my heart. So like at the end of the day, I would just beat myself up. And then the way I coped was with food. So it was either not eating or it was eating and throwing up. Right. So for those of you listening who do struggle with food, like this might be a trigger for you. Just going to throw that out there, but you know, please keep that in mind. But, uh, it's, yeah, it just, there was, there's a, there's a great side to it and an ugly side <laughs> and really the ugly side over time became mitig- more mitigated with just the, the understanding of the chaos that every job entails, especially in the military and like understanding that people are going to freaking hate you for being there just because of who you are. And there are people that love you. And then there are going to be everyone in between and there are going to be things that go right. And there are going to be things that don't go right. And just like accepting that, like I couldn't accept losing a game in college. Right. Like it was really hard for me. Like my self-esteem went into the tank, like in the reinforcement from, you know, the outside world was like, Oh, you lost the game or like from my coach, like my coach, like not that she meant to just call me out. It was just like, okay, what could have you done? You could have done differently, Teresa. You're the pitcher here. Yeah. You know, um, and as a pitcher, you're in the limelight all the time as a as a player. Sure. So like, if I lost, like it's in the paper. If I won, it's in the paper. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, and and in and, Spain, you know, um, it was in Spain that you were a pro, right? Italy. 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 Sorry. Okay. So in Italy, uh, some of your teammates, if I remember correctly from the book. Um, when you lost, you know, you really took it hard, beat yourself up, and your teammates were like, whatever, let's go out. Is that? Yeah. I mean, so that yeah, was pretty and tough, that's, I'm sure. Yeah, that's kind of, that happened, I mean, that was, 
you know, in college, um, I wasn't the kind of player that was like, I've arrived, let's party. You know, like, <laughs> I wanted to crush. And I wanted to make it to Big East Pitcher of the Year and whatever else I could make. And then in, in the pro league, like, be the top team. Um, we ended, we definitely weren't the top team <laughs> in Italy. Uh, but, like, I just, I just can't just sit back and just be like, well, it's party. Forget about it. Right. Now, and I'm still not that way, but I'm much more relaxed. Like, wins and losses will come. But there is a grieving process I still go through with the loss. Whether it's a friendship, a, a business relationship, whatever. It's still, there's still a process. But at least I'm more accepting now of the fact that those losses are going to happen. And there's got to be a process to it of how I handle and cope it with it. Right. There's those wins and losses, like you mentioned, in business. Uh, there's wins and losses almost daily. I mean, heck, even getting out of bed sometimes is a, is a win. Um, uh, but then sometimes, you know, running around with your two-and-a-half-year-old, you, you have to pick your battles, and you may have losses there. So you're going to have wins and losses that are all across the spectrum uh, and in, in every sort of uh, way in, in our lives. So I want to get uh, into a little more yeah. here, but first I want to stop and put in a quick plug for our sponsors. Our sponsors help to support the podcast and then in turn support the, the programs that we run at Veterans Path. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Marine Corps veteran turned physical therapist and businesswoman, Teresa Larson. And uh, we were getting into your Marine Corps career and your softball career, your uh, obsessive uh, obsessiveness, for lack of a better term, for winning or perfection. Um, now let's fast forward. You're out of softball. You're in the Marine Corps. You get your Marine Corps company. Um, and you're at Pendleton for that, right? Yes. Okay. And then this company is slated to go on deployment. How long after you arrived there? Um, it was about nine or ten months after I arrived. We got my platoon. Okay. And during that whole time, um, you mentioned your your eating disorder. Your your Going out, um, yeah, I mean, reading the book, it sounds like it would be tough to be in your company. I mean, physically tough. You're a beast. And so you're out there um, working hard physically and then going back to your hooch or wherever it is and eating and then purging. Um, how were you dealing with that Physically, I mean, how, how did that, the toll that it took on your body, how did, how did that affect you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I'll just, timeline-wise, so my first deployment um, was in, not in theater. It was, so I had two deployments before I went to Iraq. Okay. So just, so before I actually went to Iraq, it was probably a couple of years before I picked up my platoon. Like when I picked up my platoon, we went to Bridgepoint, um, and then we went to Laredo, and then we went to Iraq. Okay. So That's right. That's right. it was it wasn't right away. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was it got pretty nasty um, as after my I think I was a marine for marine officer for probably a year before it really started like becoming a major issue this this eating disorder. Um, I mean, and in, in a way, I, I actually couldn't acknowledge it. I'm sure any addict out there can attest to this. Like. 
I was just like, there's, I just have an eating problem. This is kind of weird. Um, and I'm not going to tell anyone about it because it's an eating problem that I've got to deal with. Right. Uh, and I don't want it to get in the way of me doing my job. So, uh, and you really don't get in trouble for eating too much, right? <laughs> it's, if you're drunk on the job, it's a big deal. If you're high, it's, yeah, a big deal. But if you eat too many brownies, no one's really going to give it a crap. <laughs> um, but it's the reason why you're doing that stuff that, that's really the problem. But, um, yeah, so I, here I am, this, you know, lieutenant who I really enjoyed my platoon, um, and in all of the deployments I was on, I struggled with it. So whether I was, you know, in Bridgepoint doing mountain warfare training to Laredo, where the temperatures were completely opposite to Iraq, like here it was, this thing that was just there every evening. Um, there was an element of loneliness for me. I just holding relationships and being able to be close to anyone was hard um, because I couldn't, didn't want to tell anyone about this thing. And I also just, like I just didn't have the time uh, and I wanted to be again like the best lieutenant I could be for these Marines <clears throat> and so um, you know during the day I was busy so things were okay uh, you know things happened that really affected me mentally but later on I just that's when I dealt with it uh, so I mean we were building in Bridgepoint, we were doing like the mountain warfare training, skiing, learning how to ski with our packs on and building igloos. Yeah, which translates <laughs> real well to Iraq. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was just like, okay, we're all getting hypothermia here <laughs> or close to it. And this is just great. Um, dragging a sled, you know, that was fun. Dragging it, feeling like a mule, human mule, dragging a sled all over the mountains of Bridgepoint, like near Mammoth Mountain, essentially. It was also great fun. No, not really. <laughs> but, you know, we did it. And, um, but again, like there was maybe one or two other women with me and they struggled with carrying the sled. So I ended up having to carry their stuff. Uh -huh. Um, then, and it also happened with some of the, some of the other Marines too. Like it was just tough, like your elevation and you're carrying your, all the things that, you know, sleep in food, uh, packs and a sled. So um, then, you know, that was, that was one area. And then, like, the radio was the opposite, like, very hot. And I was probably the only woman in the group of 70 Marines that were there. Yeah, I was the only. So wow. I had my own room. Um, and, yeah, and that, was, that was the safe place, right, I could go and be. But it was also the place where I succumbed to my eating disorder, too. Got it. And, and so it was a place I could hide. Um, so all throughout the day, I'd be handling the job. Like in Laredo, we were doing, you know, building uh, fences to keep illegal immigrants out and building low water crossings and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, at night it was just do it, do what you can do it, be by yourself. Or, I mean, I very rarely hung out with people just cause I didn't want people to talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just wanted and to be by my, I, I chose to be by myself. And you're, I mean, you're the, you're not only the only woman in that group of 70 people, but you're also the, the officer. And sometimes, you know, it's, yeah. it's lonely at the top. So you've kind of got two things working yeah. against you that set, uh, and, and your, your hooch is completely separate. Um, and yeah. wow, I mean, you yeah. were, you were truly the lone wolf going back to that lone wolf. You almost had too much 
it's not that you almost had too alone much. Time. You did have too much alone time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, uh, in, and so going into Iraq, you know, the same thing. I had my own room. And when we went, when we went to, and this, this I wrote about in my book, when we went out into the field to do work in Ferris Town or around Fallujah, like, I didn't, we, there was such little area to sleep for the Marines that, like, I would end up sleeping, I chose to end up sleeping with my senior enlisted right. the same room because I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take Marines out of a large room to just so I can sleep there in private right right uh, and that. that was very frowned upon very frowned upon by um, some of the senior officers of the group I was working with so I you know that that was hard just because again you're then isolated more uh, <clears throat> again but the Marines. You know, I had a good rep- I had a good relationship with my Marines. Like I respected them. Um, the ones we brought to Iraq were on par. Like we we kept up to keep our complacency low, like as any, mm-hmm. right? Keep people morale high, and um, I, I worked well with them. I worked well with my senior senior enlisted for the most part. I mean, there's always some tiffs here and there. Yeah, but. <laughs> I think I remember you, you talking about a, a, yeah. a, an actual physical altercation um, yes. in the book. Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. We did yeah. have one of those. Um, but um, he, 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 he left with a black, like some kind of scrape on his face. Um, <laughs> but he actually probably ended up, ended up winning the fight. But still, he looks like he, he, looks like he lost. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, but yeah, we... We, um, yeah, so it was, there was like, like, as you can imagine, there's really intense moments to deployment. And then there's the time that you're just off. And I didn't know how to turn it off. And, you know, and the off was, I was alone. And so what do I do in that off time? Sure. Like, I didn't have really great, again, I wasn't, I journaled and whatnot. And there was, of course, any kind of music and TV show you wanted to watch if you were in actually Camp Fallujah, but outside that, no, you didn't have access to much. But you, but I mean, what else? Like, how do you deal with the challenges of just the communication between your Marines or your senior enlisted or your my XO, you know, or anyone else I dealt with, or the challenges of what people would say about you when you, whatever, you know, all the things. Like, so I, I didn't know. Um, at the end of the day, I like food was a safety net. Mm-hmm. And then, but of course, like any addiction, that safety net, there's there's a low after it, a depression that sets in too. Right. It's like any high comes with a low. Sure. Absolutely. So, but really, like, like being in the military and deployment, there's a lot of highs and lows, and I just didn't cope well with the highs and lows. So, so I mean, people could see it. I was calm under pressure, and I did my job, but. In the, at the end of the day, was I really doing my job well? Because I felt like I was probably at 70%, um, you know, based on the way my mind was. Right. I just wasn't handling the things I was doing that well. So you're, you're I mean, you're a tough woman. Uh, I mean, you're a tough person just in general. Um, mm-hmm. I would even say a badass. Very independent, type A. How, um, how did you finally end up... Uh, admitting to yourself that you had a problem and then seeking help? Well, yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, 
really hard. Give me some good ones here, John. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it was, so I have a really good relationship with my dad. And I mean, it hasn't all, it wasn't always great, right? But we'd grown close since I had been in college and left college. And he, um, he wasn't really understanding what was going on with me, but he knew I was calling in, calling him from the chat phone every once in a while. Whenever he got on the phone, I, I would cry. Mm-hmm. And like, I wouldn't really cry in my room alone, right? Because I had my crutch, like my safety net, which right. is food or whatever else. Um, and, but my dad was that, like, he was my, my family, my home at the time. And, um, and it was really, like, listening to him and what he said. And he's a Catholic priest at the time, which, so he's a second vocation Catholic priest, meaning mm-hmm. he... Because um, he, he's a widower, he could go back. Like my mom was actually a nun before they met, and oh, then wow. they met, and then she wasn't a nun anymore, clearly. Right. And then he, you know, became a priest. You know, several years later after she passed away, and um, he, uh, so he was, you know, it like really crushed him losing my mom, and he built himself back to be being fairly resilient. Right, not focusing just on his kids, but focusing on his life and his career and like what he wanted to do, which is why he became a priest. So he could throw himself into something good that reminded him of her, but also like in an industry that really needed good people. Clearly the Catholic priesthood needs good people. And being a someone that was formerly married and, you know, had a family, like this is a good fit for him. And he would just you know, he'd write me these letters and on the phone he would just you know, ask me to pray and like really think about, you know, am I, am I harming myself? Am I going to harm my Marines by being this way? Mm-hmm. Um, like take a, take a hard look at like, you know, you and the fact that the world doesn't revolve around you. Like people love you. And if you're hurt, like it's going to hurt us. And then also the way you're being is you could hurt others. Right. Right. So like start to think about that. And I think I, you know, when you get caught up in this addictive behavior, you seem, the world seems to be all about you. Like how is, how are things affecting you and you and you and you, and like even depressive, depressive language can be very eye focused. And it's like, well, he was the voice of like, what's possible outside of me? Like, what is the impact I'm having? Like I may be impacting the Marines. I may be doing my mission the way I'm supposed to and the, the work I'm supposed to, maybe I'm doing, I, I was doing the work I was supposed to be doing. However, was I really like doing it in a way that was safe for me and for my brain? Right. Was my mind focused? Like physically I was there, but was my mind actually there? And, right. you know, so you actually thought on the day, but yeah, I, I, I started to really like be introspective, like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, holy shit, like, one, I'm hurting him, right? He's my dad, and he's sitting here going, like, you're hurting yourself. You're on this roller coaster, and, like, you're at war with yourself. (laughs) Like, not, you're not actually, there is a war going on around you, but you're actually at war with yourself. Wow. And, um, and he was like, you, like, take a look at, like, you're, this hurts me, and the Marine Corps will always go on, Teresa. (laughs) Like, it's a big green machine. (laughs) I mean, you think, you know, I, I thought, you know, no, like I'm a, I worked my ass off to get here and nothing is going to take me away from, you know, being here with my Marines. 
in the right. work we've done to get here. Nothing. No sickness, nothing, no crap like that at the time. That's the way I thought. And then I was like, well, crap, like this is, I actually could hurt someone by not right. being mentally present. Yeah, I think that's Like I'm critical. maybe at 60 or 70%. Yeah. Yeah, to realize and that. It, it's like, it's not about being tough anymore. Like the, the, the mental toughness is actually admitting when you can't be 100% and you need help. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started to sink in with me. And so about three and a half months into deployment, um, after an all night mission where, you know, the mission ended fine, but it just, it just mentally, I was really struggling to be present. And this is like a really serious mission. And, um, I mean, we were, I was doing things outside of the wire of Camp Fallujah that women weren't really supposed to be doing mm-hmm. at the time. Right. You know, this was back in 2005 when we're like, we're supposed to be at a desk and, <laughs> you know, doing, we're checking females for, you know, vehicle checkpoints. Like, no, I wasn't doing that. I was, I, I thought to be out with my Marine. So yeah, after that evening, um, I, this evening of like all night and all night convoy and a large operation we were running, I was like, you know, I'm, I, I know someone, I know someone else is going to have to do this job for me right now because I'm, it was a fight to be mentally there. And so I went to my captain and told him I need help. And he looked at me like, what? (laughs) Yeah, because he didn't Um, know anything was going on or. No, okay. No, he didn't. I mean, he, he, when I started to tell him my situation, he was like, oh, my girlfriend in high school had that. Something like that. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is different. Um, but I, I'm going to need to see a medical provider, like to someone that understands this. Because I think it, it's getting in the way of me, my ability to do my mission and the mission well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's fair to the Marines for me to be like this. And that was like really hard for me to say, like, oh my gosh. Like I, I was just, I felt like a basket case. But in the end, I ended up being voluntarily medevaced home, which, again, was, like, the most embarrassing thing and, like, mentally hard thing I had to do. I think to this day, because I didn't have the great any mental health coping mechanisms, like, still, I remember that impact. Like, just the, like, low of the low. Like, it's not like I was, like, stoked about not deploying. Like, I... Of course. Of course not. I wanted to be there and I wanted to be present. Yeah. Just, and it wasn't in the cards and, um, you know, I even, I could even really, and I, maybe I hope, I mean, I've been in touch with some of my Marines since because of the beauty of Facebook and all that. Right. Cause they, we found each other, but I didn't even, and they, a lot of them know the real story now, but at the time I couldn't even tell them the real story. You know, I told them something else like, I'm a, a medical condition. I have to go home and sucks and see you guys in your back. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind my getting into when you do get home um, and you talk with, uh, I forget which one of your brothers, um, that was a, that was a struggle too, right? I mean, telling your brother that you'd been uh, medevaced and there was actually, if I remember correctly, uh, some type of confrontation between the two of you. Yes. So my, my brother and I, my, my youngest brother and I have had, I mean, we always were kind of butting heads growing up anyway. And, 
but he, you know, we're really good friends now and we've come a long way together. Uh, at the time he really did. He just got him. He not, didn't just get out of the Marine Corps, but he, he kind of, and we talk about this, like he kind of represented the, the, the young Marine idea, thought process. Like, what are you doing? Like you look, your your disappointment to your Marines, uh-huh. like why would you come home, kind of thing. Like, not not the compassionate family member that I needed at the time, but he that was how he showed in a way at the time. That's how he showed his support. It was like you could have stuck through this, like you should have stuck through this. This mm-hmm. is just an eating problem because he didn't he didn't really understand addiction either, which is a lot of people, right? Sure. Like most people that say you had an eating disorder, like what do you have a hard time going to a buffet, <laughs> like or is it just like cookies? Is it a cookie issue? Yeah, like no, it's not. Um, but he, you know, at the time it made me very angry and sad because I just, I wanted him to understand, but he didn't. And a lot of people didn't. And in the end though, over time and maturity and just working on kindness and love and like acceptance on both of our parts, like we've come a long way together. So, um, but yeah, at the time it was, it was really hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that was tough uh, on on both sides, uh, uh, especially you know his his. Uh, I'm going to use a harsh sounding word here, but his ignorance at the time. Uh, I'm sure that he's kind of overcome that, and then you guys are uh, back uh, friendly. I guess being back. Uh, yeah. Uh, good. Good. So now you're back. You've uh, made it known that you need medical provider help professional help um what type of help did you actually end up receiving well um i had some not so epic help (laughs) originally um and that thankfully i can laugh about now but at the time it wasn't funny it was like i i saw some medical providers from the hospital who were mental health focused professionals with those with ptsd and other addictions but and eating disorder is a specific addiction, right? It's helpful to have someone who's specific to that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the hospital, I didn't have anyone like that. So in the waiting period of getting help from the TRICARE system, like being referred out, I, was, I saw both a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And the, like, the first session with the psychologist was, what are the symptoms of bulimia? Can you tell me those? They like, asked you what's that. it like? I was like, yeah, I was like, oh man, this is this is how it's gonna start. Yeah. And it was very, it was tough because right, this person is sitting behind their computer taking notes and like not really looking at me and just like asking me a bunch of coined questions and um, very like, like just soul crushing at the time. Like, man, this is my medical system mm-hmm. in play. And then, um, and my my commander, my XO, who was present my battalion exo was present at the time was like also just like you are such a disappointment like outwardly to me wow i mean it was just like it sucked um yeah it sucked uh but i pushed through that like thankfully i had my i had my family my my oldest brother and his wife were my father were were supportive and there for me and some good friends but then um, my psychiatrist was like, kind of made a joke to me in the first session, like, well, 
you know, if you were pregnant, you'd probably, or you had a kid, you'd probably feel better about yourself. <laughs> yeah, that always helps. And I'm like 20, you know, 22, 23, 24 at the time. No, yeah, 20, 24, 24, 25. And he's, um, I'm like, I don't even have a boyfriend. You know, the boyfriend I do have is we're definitely on and off and like, I don't see this going anywhere. <laughs> so nice. thanks for that advice. Yeah. You suck. <laughs> uh, that's one word <laughs> so yeah and so it was just like wow then I, I did get into outpatient therapy um, through TRICARE eventually but I had to fight for it like my XO at the time you know he and I battled it out again um, we battled it out right when I got back because uh, I really had to like stand up for myself I'm like sir you want someone who's a hundred percent out there mentally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not that like, you can't see it, but I'm not that. And he just, he, he, he wasn't so great about having compassion for that. And then, which as a commander side of things, I now can say, yeah, initially he didn't, he, he doesn't understand, doesn't know again, represents the Marine Corps and a job and I couldn't do the job and he needed to find someone else. And that was just a pain in his ass made him stay up late one night big deal right something like that like yeah but you're I, one I of his marines in a way yeah he but he i can i mean it maybe now he's a better leader and i hope so yeah <laughs> but, we, won't, we won't get into names um, <laughs> yeah no no name but uh there's been a lot of forgiveness on my part anyway for people who i haven't even seen in years like a lot of these leaders i had like you know, I wish them the best. I truly do. The battle we had out about the medical care was I was there. It's probably a month before I got care. And my sister-in-law, who was an optometrist in the Navy, was like, you, you really should be seen already. You're, you're a combat medevac Marine. Like you should have been seen already out mm-hmm. in the outside of like in the TRICARE system. Like you've been, you need to have a referral by now. Like that's, that's, that's like uncalled for. So what I did was I went to the hospital and went straight to the hospital, XO. I was like, hey, <laughs> I was medevaced a month ago and I'm still working with these yoo-hoos upstairs <laughs> who don't know what an eating disorder is and like I need to get help. I'm, I'm, you know, that was hard for me because still my eating disorder was like nobody understands it. Like I suck, you right. know. This, this is, and, and like the next day I got a referral. And, but then I had to go into my ex's office who yelled at me for overstepping his ranks. Uh, Yeah. And he's like, my wife, my wife has been waiting for care for months and you just walk in and expect to get care right away. And I'm like, sir, I am a combat medevac Marine. Your wife is not. Right. (laughs) Your wife is a stay at home mom. Right. That's, that's a big job. But like, there's priorities there too. Right. With with stuff like so, yeah, it, but that didn't go over well either. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure not. Um, yeah, so then, what we, what do you finally I, receive for for help that actually so, helped you out? So I got um, outpatient therapy from for eating disorder at this place called Oakville in um, San Diego, and it was 12 weeks, and that really like jump started my getting better. And during that time, I was getting out of the Marine Corps. And so um, after that, I sought my own help because I didn't cover more than 12 weeks. So I ended up 
just pay out of pocket for care. Got it. After that. Um, wow. And I've been doing continuous care on my own. Still? Um, some through the VA and some not. Yeah. Okay. Not out eating disorder focused, yeah. but just mental health mental focused. Health. And obviously, I mean, that's yeah. the, the focus of, of our show is, is, is seeking mental health and, and what those different mental health support modalities are. Um, and, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've still got a ton of questions here for you. Uh, one of them uh, yes. has to do with mental health and, and then, you know, how you got into the world of physical therapy. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down that road, but I want to try to make this seem like it's got a, a, a natural flow. Um, so you get back, you go through all that disastrous uh, medical provider help that, or, or lack thereof that you went through. You finally get outpatient therapy. Um, then you go and you pay for your own therapy um, and uh, mental health support. And now you're out of the Marine Corps. And, and I'm, I know I'm making this seem like just a couple of seconds here, but I know that it was a whole, uh, a, a while. Um, but now you're out of the Marine Corps and you decide to go into the world of physical therapy. Is that right? Is that kind of the flow yeah. of things? Okay. Yeah. And then how did, uh, how did that uh, time in the Marine Corps um, lend itself to your pursuing physical therapy and then finally starting up a business. And I'm going to come full circle back to the physical and mental health side, but I want to get kind of through the business side and, and how this whole side of things uh, started. So how did you go from the Marine Corps into physical therapy and start your business? And what did the Marine Corps do to set you up for success uh, in starting your own business? Yeah, those are, that's a good, that's a good big question. Uh, I, I decided to do PT after, so I just, after the Marine Corps, I knew I, I played a year of professional softball in Italy just to have fun and like get some, get some more athletic experience as I was figuring out what was next. And then I finally decided to do PT because when I was in Italy, I hurt my foot and was like seeing a sports medicine doctor and like my team needed strength and conditioning help because of what we were being provided there it was just not that great. So I kind of, when I looked at like the professions that were um, medical and fitness based, like PT kept coming up and also, as well as osteopathic medicine. And I just decided well, PT will be a better route for me. It's more physical and I won't get caught up in like having to see patients, you know, every 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Right. Um, although in a regular PT practice, you do do that. But I was like, I just will have more freedom. So I don't have to be in like a hospital setting or at like a medical clinic. Um, so yeah. And, and when I looked at the PT curriculum and like what you were, you learn there, it's all about biomechanics and physiology and all the things I was always interested in fitness. Um, and so, and it, it stayed away from nutrition, right? Cause nutrition was something that like, I just didn't want, I originally thought about getting into it because I struggled so much with it. And then I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to make my whole world around nutrition. Yeah. It I want it to be on some, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, something have a good outlet. So the physical, the physical therapy allowed me to really learn that learn and respect the medical industry as well as learn and respect the fitness industry. And I actually kind of wavering between both as a PT with my work I do. And so I, um, I you know it was I had to go back and get all my prereqs for PT school, and I was you know 27, 28 at the time. 
So I went back. It took me about two years to do all of my prereqs for PT school. Got into PT school and started when I was 30 and then um, got my DPT when I was 32. I did an accelerated program. And um, I really enjoyed the curriculum. I mean, school was really challenging because it was just very fast-paced. But um, I found that, you know, I was able to ask for help. I got tutors to help me with different subjects that I didn't, you know, do, didn't understand, which was, you know, also another, like, humble experience, like, asking for help again. Right. This whole theme of, like, relying on people, like, having a coach help you through something you don't understand. Duh. Like, that's, like, great. You know, and I, for me, it was like light bulb moments of, oh, I've been holding back this entire time and now I can work with someone to help crush this. And uh, so, yeah, I got through PT school and met my husband right before PT school. And we um, got married almost right after and then moved to San Diego. And I lasted about six months in a regular clinic and then said goodbye (laughs) (laughs) because I just couldn't. I just like, it just was like soul sucking. I, it's all I can describe it. I mean, it was, I, I chose to become, got to get a license for PT to like have freedom to help people with movement and like excite people about fitness again. And it was like the antithesis of that in the clinic. Like you get stuck with seeing a, seeing a patient for 20 minutes and then pawning them off to an exercise biz who might be in high school you know, who doesn't know, not an exercise phys, but like an exercise aid. And you get only so much time with that patient. So really like you have to see them more often to get anything done. And really you only have time to say hello and like, let me look at your shoulder before like you're letting them go to someone else. And I just felt like, okay, this system is driving me nuts because I would see like three people an hour over the course of a seven or eight hour day. And so, and I told that, you know, I, I, I was pretty upfront with my um, boss too about, Hey, I want to do some strength and conditioning focused work and work more with veterans. And I had an opportunity to travel some weekends out of the year where I'd have to take off Fridays. And I remember my, when I asked my boss this, um, his response was, well, you're not ready for that. You're only first year out of school. So, and we can't really let you travel on a Friday. We need you to work here. Uh, and so, you know, that was my first, like, okay, this is a business they're running. They don't want to support that because they need people here. And then the second part of it was I taught some guy a deadlift, right? He hurt his pinky or something, you know, like, or his wrist. He's a big guy. He has some Jersey barriers, right? <laughs> like, like those are heavy. Yeah. Those are, I've lifted Jersey heavy. barriers. You got to have good, good deadlift form. He's climbing ladders. I mean, the guy... His, his wrist was no problem, right? Like, we were fine with his wrist. I was like, you need to learn how to deadlift. So in the clinic, I taught him how to deadlift and climb, ladder, climb a ladder efficiently and squat, and my my boss was not so stoked about that. He's like, you should be focusing on the wrist. He's got a wrist issue. Wow. And, like, he's got okay. a movement issue. Yeah. He's got a movement issue. And, oh, by the way, I've given you my three weeks notice. <laughs> it was something about notice. He had a problem with how, I, how much time I gave him. I think I gave him three weeks. And he had a problem with that. But either way, I just, it just didn't work for me. And I left and like right after I got married, I started my own business and it's been anything but linear. 
<laughs> to this point, as all of my life has been, but it's, it's like the most freeing and awesome journey with some lows too. Um, oh, I mean, but I, I have the freedom to create what I want. Like I get to work with someone for an hour. I've created that, right? Like to, to be able to help someone get their fitness back after a major injury or a minor injury. I've hired on staff and I require them to be physically healthy. Like, do they have their own movement practice and how do they cope with stress? And, um, you know, we do corporate wellness in our, our company too, because we've created an online platform. And cause I was like, I was working with CrossFit for a while, traveling around teaching some courses and, you know, people wanted to come work with me. Um, and I was like, well, I'll just create a program for you. And so it ended up being, we just created an online platform for different kinds of injuries we see. And so people can like, you know, if they have low back issues or shoulder issues or knee issues, they don't have to come to see me. They can do this program first and, and see what they get out of it. And mm -hmm. most of the time people don't need to come to see me after it. Yeah. And the program is, is, is movement RX. Yeah. So the program is movement RX. That's my, that's my company is movement RX and the program on our platform is called the low back fix. And then we have the knee fix and the shoulder fix and a bunch of other musculoskeletal orthopedic focused programs that you or a company um, can do. And that's kind of the really cool thing now is being in the industry for a while. It's like, okay, you know, workers claim costs workers. So the cost of like workers getting injured on site and then, the insurance premiums and yeah, all of that sure. stuff being a problem in companies like what we've what we've done our insurance rates we've we've created these physical well-being programs that basically a company can purchase per employee um, for a very low cost and they have access to all these programs that they can do throughout the year um, for a very low cost and if so if someone isn't on if someone's company doesn't have any wellness programs already built into the company they can purchase it for a subscription or the company can purchase it for much cheaper per person a month. So it actually is a, is a pretty, it's been a pretty cool model we've built and, but it didn't start that way. It started mm -hmm. off with me in like a gym with a bunch of surfboards <laughs> talking about low back issues with no good audio or video. And then now we're That's the way changing every business starts, right? It's your minimal yes. viable product. So you, you got to get started somewhere. That's right. <laughs> Yes, so totally. We we connected on LinkedIn uh, after I had seen you post about working with Naval Special Warfare, which is obviously the community that I'm in. And then I looked up your profile, and you mentioned loving quiet time, which we've talked about on the show already, and then being an international speaker on mental and physical well-being. And you've covered some of the physical well-being that your company does both internally to your company and with those that you work with. As far as the mental well-being, um, I, I believe you use some type of mindfulness meditation. Is that correct? Yes. So mindfulness meditation has been a big part of my healing journey. I think it really helped what it's helped me. I started it five years ago, uh, five to six years ago, right before my father passed away in 2014. So I was like, um, working, I was working in a job I created and really struggling with my mental health. 
And I was like, what is going on? Like, I don't want to keep having these breakdowns. Right. Like these are, it, I didn't have my eating disorder anymore, but these, this highs and lows and just not coping well again. Um, and exercise and journaling was one thing, but you know, I, I, so I started, I was referred to a biofeedback therapist from a friend and um, he was awesome. Like he basically, he has a, a website called medicinemind.com and so he teaches biofeedback, but mindfulness-based meditation. And so he taught me about like my respiratory rate and what my respiratory rate should be during the day when I'm working and even when I'm meditating and like then how to meditate well. And, and I used to like think meditation was not for me. Like, why would I want to meditate? <laughs> me too. You know? Too. And then, yeah. And I realized like my, okay, this, I need it, the mental focus, like being able to focus on one thing um, for a period of time was super helpful. And it helped me like deal with um, like holding steady in anchor in storms because storms come all the time. Right. And it's like, well, weathering the storm is just what's, you know, how do you weather your storm? Well, you know, you sit, sit tight and, you basically, like he would teach me, you don't, you don't do anything. You just be. You're just there. Like you sit on your hands. And then in the, in the interim, like you meditate. And like on the days, you know, even on the stormy days you meditate, but it's like compound interest. So those <laughs> stormy days become less of an issue. Right. Um, so <clears throat> you can weather the storm faster. You suffer less. Um, and you enter the day with a lower level of anxiety than you normally would. And it's like a vacation from your brain. And so it, it actually, just working with him and understanding the methodology behind the brain and understanding that just calming your physiology through meditation, just thinking about that alone, is like extremely powerful. Because you, your mind is racing and thinking about one thing or two things. And, and then all of a sudden, you take a few deep breaths and you center where your mind is. And those things are still there, but they're less of a focus, less of an issue. Um, and or they might not even be an issue anymore. So I found the power in being able to like take a trigger and realize that I have the power of that trigger. I can just sit most, most of the time, actually nine out of 10 times, just sitting and being with it and like calming my physiology in the state of a trigger or a storm is the best thing I can do. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what's your practice look like? So my practice now is I have 30. So this is not every single morning right now, but it's the majority of mornings are my week. So give or take like one missing day on the weekend or a day during the week. But, um, it depends on if I have to get my son up early and take him to daycare or how the sleeping night went. (laughs) But we, um, I do right now I'm in a 10 minute mindfulness meditation continuum. So it's a guided practice. I use insight timer for my, to keep track of my time and days. And then that's followed by, and it's, so it's mindfulness meaning like I'm just really just present to the rise and fall of my diaphragm in my body. Like that's it. Like I'm present to the like exhale, like decreasing tension in my body with each rise and fall of my diaphragm. 
that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so the next 10 minutes I spend uh, writing in my journal, just gratitude stuff, like talking about what my son has said or things I'm thankful for, um, which sounds maybe for some people very cheesy, but I, the act of doing it is very helpful because there are days when I, like, I'm like, I have nothing to be thankful for. And I'm like, wow, that's not true. Oh, absolutely. I have so much. And so just the act of, act of doing it has been very therapeutic. Plus, I just get to relive some of the moments that made me happy, you know, the last few days right. or day. Yeah, and those little moments, and, I mean, that's, you talked about that cumulative effect or that compound interest. Um, you know, the other day I, I, I was emptying the dishwasher and I was thinking, I was like, man, I really wish this thing could empty itself. Uh, I don't know, I was in a hurry or something. And then I realized, you know, this is, that's a ridiculous thought. Um, the fact that I have a dishwasher, the fact that I have running water in my house, the fact that I have food that is going to make my dishes dirty, um, you know, that, those are all things that I need to be thankful for. And, yeah, you talked about journaling and writing that stuff down. To some people it may sound silly, but that, that um, process in and of itself, it rewires your brain to be more thankful throughout your day and to take notice of that type of stuff. And that's important to have that, and I know this sounds cheesy too, but the attitude of gratitude, I mean, that is truly something that rewires our brain and helps us to go through our day in a certain way. And if we can do that more and more often, we can actually have a sense of well-being uh, more often than not. So I'm, yes. all, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, and I also, um, so after the journaling, um, I'll do some mobility on my spine too and just hips, whatever I feel like I need. Like mobility as in like some soft tissue work or the foam roller or some lacrosse balls or something just because it's healthy and it gets me moving in the right. morning and like working on any hot spots that have occurred from the day before or from the training I've done. Um, so that's kind of the, what I, the, the habit I follow, um, five days a week. Excellent. And, um, the other really, you know, thing that's really helped me, um, and I'm, you know, I've, I've been doing it now for the whole year as I started doing, uh, this, the landmark training, <clears throat> which is, you know, uh, a training that has starts with a forum and then there's an advanced course and then there's a self-expression leadership course. And I did it, you know, more as of a business interest. Like what can I learn here from this group? Um, they do personal development and business development and all that stuff. Um, it really has been eye opening for me in a sense of just like another level of taking ownership of my life. If that makes sense. Like it absolutely I, does. I, it's given me, um, a voice. It's a, it's given me a way to use my voice in a much more powerful way. Uh, cause when I'm enrolling, you know, business leaders and HR directors or patients or people around me to want to do business with me, you know, there's, a, there's language, language matters and like how you use it and how confident you are in using it. And it's, it's been really awesome for me because I, I feel, um, you know, one, it's given me a chance to connect with my family in a way that I've never connected with them before. Um, my brothers, you mm-hmm. know, my husband's family, 
uh, but it's also given me a way to access work, the work I do in a way that I feel much more powerful, like powerful and as in like a, this is an opportunity for both of us. Um, and this is the way we're going to help change this industry, help change this community. And uh, the community, we're like, just like you, you're doing with Veteran Path, like we're setting out to change the veteran community. There's two major narratives to change with the veteran community. One, with the veterans, like your, your disability isn't, isn't, isn't who you are. Right. Like, you know, your, the rating that you got from the VA or isn't who you are much more than that. And you can have a wonderful life. And then with the healthcare professionals, we're much more than just a number or a, a social security number or a function level. Like we're human beings. So that are, if you look like, you know, Bill Gates or you look homeless, like you deserve care right. and good care. Um, so I'm, um, it's, it's helped sometimes I, I appreciate the continuing education of personal development through this kind of coursework I've done too. Mm -hmm. It's given me a language to like help me also continue to suffer less in storms. Um, be like, get rid of considerations and reasons that just come up in your mind. Like, Oh, that person is going to say no, or they might not think this way. Well, who cares? Do it anyway. Right. And are realizing like, do it the way you feel is best and, or letting go of stories. Like that's a big one. That's a big healing piece too, that I didn't necessarily learn in biofeedback therapy or even med with meditation is like the fact that you have this situation happen to you. Everyone's had something happen to them. So like, look hard at the facts of that. And then you got these stories that you make up around it. What does this mean about me? This person, you know, this person said this, so this must mean something about me. Or it's like, well, no, the facts are the facts. You actually don't know all this other stuff. Right. So yeah. just accept the facts and let go of the stories and just be with that person in front of you. Uh, or, and, and you learn that a lot of things are stories of reasons why relationships don't work out or marriages or friendships. And it's like, it's built off of these false, these stories that come up that just like fester. They don't have to be. They don't have to. You're familiar with Brene Brown, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the, and she's this, awesome too. the story I'm telling myself is, is you know, that that a lot of the time, the story I'm telling myself is actually what gets us in trouble in relationships, in communication. Is that we build this narrative in our mind about what is being said, what is being felt. Um, what is being experienced when in fact the the story or the narrative is some, something completely opposite or something completely different and we build up these defenses um, or responses based on these stories that we tell ourselves so that's right right what what you're talking about there um, in, in kind of defending yourself against something that isn't actually there um, Yes. Going, going back to the the mental health practice that you have, and then we'll start wrapping it up. In my first trimester, you know, um, this this group will appreciate this. I haven't done, I haven't been on any anti-anxiety or antidepressants for a long time. And in the first 12 weeks, it's my hormones are all over the place. And it's, you can feel the difference. And like, I really had to like go back to my coping mechanisms of, you know, be be even more efficient with the meditation, uh, journaling, and mobility, 
and getting myself out and moving in nature because there have been some highs and lows mm-hmm. and I don't need the medication. It's a time, it's chemical. It's going to pass. But in those moments, I need to remember that my communication with him and my family, like to come at it from a place of love and kindness versus like a hormonal asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that's important. Anyway. <laughs> important to distinguish. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no hormonal assholes. <laughs> I like that. That's a new term. So, yeah. uh, I think we're kind of coming up to the end of the show here, Teresa. What what haven't we covered that you would like to make sure that we talk about? Um, gosh, we covered a lot. <laughs> we so did. We have. I, yeah, I I think uh, the thing that I want to leave people with, you know, and this is what I've learned in my practice. Um, and kind of creating my own way in my PT practice and even in my, my, my health is that it might not really seem clear to you all the time when you're going into a new venture in life, you want to start a business or enter a new relationship or create something, but just keep forging forward and find people who are doing it and gravitate towards them and ask them for help, ask them for advice. Um, and because it's very freeing when you do that, but on a more micro level, your own health, whatever you're dealing with, it's possible one day to be out of pain and continuous suffering. Um, there, it's you know I can never guarantee someone's going to be out of pain, but if you start to each day practice mm-hmm. a mindfulness-based meditation um, for your mental health, start to think about the relationships you're around, the people you're around, and then in your physical way realize that the physical pain and dysfunction you have, there is a way to get through it. It just can't, it can't just be like something you focus on once a year. It's got to be a daily effort. Right. And so that consistency, you know, people say strength is king, nutrition is queen, blah, blah, blah. It's like (laughs) consistency. Like we're not looking for heroes here. We're looking for consistency. Um, And that's as a healthcare professional, that's what I want to leave you with and not to let your injury or whatever you're dealing with stop you in your life. Because when I look back, my eating disorder stopped me from having good relationships and from being the most powerful Marine officer I could be. Now right. I'm proud of my military service. However, I was sick. Right. Yeah. But I also know it stopped me in a lot of ways. And then I didn't want it to stop me. And it takes, but it takes continuous effort to like face that versus just saying, well, screw it. This is my life. Like pain is my life. So this is the way it's going to be. No, it doesn't have to be. And like, I think that's the biggest thing I see with people that holds them back is that they just think like, this is the way it's going to be. So why try or why do anything different? And your tissue can change. Your mind can change. There's this concept called neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity, which is in, you know, your soft tissue as well as your brain tissue. So, um, yeah, I hope that helps empower people to realize they can change. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So, yeah, it's been awesome having you on the show, Teresa. You're, you're a superstar. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, the best way is, so I can give you my email, which is, Teresa.larson at movement-arcs.com. 
and or just go to my website, which is movement-rx.com to check us out. We've got a Facebook page. You've got an Instagram page. You've got Twitter, LinkedIn. There you go. Um, so many ways. All right. So movement, yeah. movement RX is what you're going to want to look for on those different social media platforms. And you'll find Teresa yeah. there. Or, or we haven't even called you this during the show, but I think you go by Dr. T on the on Dr. The, T, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. T, thanks. Like uh, <laughs> thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thank you so much for being so uh, so open and so vulnerable for uh, for really being strong enough to come on and, and share your story. It's uh, it's really been enlightening, and I sure I, I am sure that it's going to resonate with with many many others who listen to the show. Thank you, John. Well, you're awesome too. And um, I'm excited to learn more about your journey. And because from what I've read, you're a complete badass. So, <laughs> I don't know about yeah. all that. So, yeah. Well, for our listeners, uh, if you want to know more about Dr. T's journey, um, her book is available. Her, uh, it's the uh, Warrior uh, Memoir, and that's available on Amazon. We've talked about her business, Movement RX. Um, Dr. T, good luck to you and Pear and Magnus in, in this pregnancy. Uh, we're super excited for you. Um, Thank is, you. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Merry Christmas. This will be aired after the holidays, so I won't be ruining any yeah. surprises for your, your friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so as, yeah, thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, absolutely. As far as our listeners, thank you for listening to the show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org, and we too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.